Mike Meets London Tastemakers. In today's episode, I chat to Alice Churchill from Whipped London, purveyors of the most spectacular cheesecakes in all the land. We talk about everything from Alice's history in the kitchen, including at the Ritz, through to the respective nightmares of COVID and cleaning soft serve machines, as well as being bombarded by people asking for free cake all the time. Back in Seven Dials Market again, so we've got a bit of music in the background, but I hope you can still enjoy all the sugary goodness. So I'm here with Alice from Whips, Whips London. Uh, we're here in Seven Dials Market in Covent Garden, hence all the hubbub in the background. I'm going to throw it over to you, Alice, to tell us, well, introduce yourself, first of all, and uh, <laughs> give us an elevator pitch for what Whips is. So uh, I own Whips. We're a London-based cheesecake brand. We start, when did we start? 2018. I think we launched in 2018, late in the year. And um, we went into it quite blindsidedly. No, no one told us that it was the worst time of year to open a dessert place. <laughs> so uh, we missed the summer. And um, we had a little shop on Drury Lane, which you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we just thought, right, you know, we've, I've worked in kitchen for 17 years. My husband, Jamie, loved desserts. I was finishing a job because I used to do a lot of private cooking and entourage and restaurant work. I kind of just got fed up with it and I just, I've always wanted to work for myself and I didn't want to work for anyone else. And when you work for high profile people, they're very demanding. (laughs) I can imagine, yeah. So um, I just decided, right, this isn't for me and I need to go. And we started doing supper clubs in our our lounge. And um, we used to do like savory and sweet, but each menu had two desserts. And one was always cheesecake. So it kind of, um, that's where it started in our front lounge. And then we just thought, right, you know, we might as well just get a shot. And we went into it completely naively. <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds like it had a lot of forethought. Like, and, um, you know, well, originally we had a guest at one of our um, supper clubs and he said, oh, I'm an investor. I really want to open a dessert place mm. in London. And maybe that um, put a little seed in my head that said, oh, you know, this would be great. And he said, oh, I'd love to work with you. I'm from New York. I know this place in New York and wow. you know it'd be he basically wanted to replicate this place in New York and wow. I'm not the kind of person to Copy rip off yeah. a, a complete concept and he said oh you know we could do all the work do the menus you could be in charge and it ended up he it was his dream and he just wanted a chef to do it right and Jamie my husband said well you might as well just do it yourself you know mm. we don't need anyone else to do it and we did so originally we were looking at pop-up um, we looked at Old Street where a lot of brands start right, yeah, yeah. and you know again we'd kind of gone into it knowing we wanted to do cheesecake but we didn't think about you know how Instagram played such a big part <laughs> how branding was so important and how everything needs to look picture worthy you know in my head as a chef it was always okay it needs to look good but it also needs to taste nice some would say that's the most important thing yeah <laughs> and, um, but you know this whole phase of oh it needs to look good for the influencers and Instagram and now TikTok um, so we did go into it completely clueless, really. Right. <laughs> and um, we found a shop, which was at, at that time, it was a pop-up. And we said to the landlord, why don't we just have it for three years? <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we took it on. Some would say that we were brave. Some might say <laughs> we were stupid. It's <laughs> a fine line. And, uh, yeah, we just thought, well, you know, we've got this shop. And uh, we designed it ourselves by just going to B&Q and right. picking up whichever colours we liked. Mostly pink. And um, <laughs> yeah, mostly pink, some random stuff, because we never really fully designed it. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, off we went. So we opened um, 
we were called Whipped London and we thought it was very clear what we did. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of people came in and kind of said, do you do whipped cream? Oh, fair enough. <laughs> so, you know, it became very evident that when you think something's a good idea and it's very clear, sometimes it's not. So we had to pivot a lot. Mm. And, um, and now we're, we're still going. We've got another shop mm. in Covent Garden. Yeah. And uh, soon to be two. Very exciting, very exciting, yeah. I mean, there's lots you touched on there that I want to unpack, but like... <laughs> oh, rewind. So, yeah, rewind. So the, the, the cheesecake element, like obviously you say it was on your supper club yeah. menus. Was, was there any kind of history before that where you'd really honed in on cheesecake as a specific thing? Um, I think for us, it, it always came as quite a natural dessert because our, our families are Polish. Um, my husband's nan had a cheesecake shop oh, in right, South okay. London in the 80s. My nan used to always do baked cheesecake. Mm. And, um, you know, one thing that you always associate with baked cheesecake is it's really heavy and dense. And people always have that stigma in their mind, you yeah. know. And we never wanted to do fridge cheesecake because it, it's almost too easy. Right. You know, <laughs> why would you charge someone five pounds when you can make it at home right, within right. five minutes? You know, and it's, so, it's almost too easy. So, um, you know, on our dessert supper clubs we um we always had two desserts we call it the double d menu (laughs) and uh, classy (laughs) (laughs) and we always had like one kind of chocolatey one and we went into the cheesecake and it was called we used to call it a whipped cheesecake it was a baked cheesecake but then we used to aerate it and then pipe it um so it looked great on a plate and it was very kind of um it looked very fancy because we put like quenelles of sorbet and the biscuit and Mm. each week it would change so one week it would be like a roasted peach and then it'd be like a cherry depending on you know what the guys wanted who right, were at the right. supper club and um it it was always the one thing that people used to say oh they do this cheesecake mm. and it, it it was at that point where we said let's not just do a dessert shop let's really focus on the cheesecake right. and that's always um been our focal point you know we've, we've done quite a few different product lines but we always wanted to be a cheesecake brand and that's where it started Fantastic. So, yeah, I, I was going to say, like, you've had a lot of what people would guess would call, like, signature dishes or like, very Instagrammable dishes and things since you opened up. Like, what do you think is kind of the heart and soul, like, true signature, this is whipped thing that you've done? I think, um, you know, anyone that meets any one of our team members, me, Jamie, anyone that's worked for us, we've always been quite wacky. Mm. And we've always hired people who have been, you know, very creative and thought, oh, my God, you should do this or that. So they've always been very good with ideas. But, you know, over time, to be honest with you, our very first opening week, the products, when you look back at them, they were just nowhere fit for purpose for right. Instagram. <laughs> you know, we, we tried to do the whipped cheesecake in a pot mm. um, and you couldn't really see it. You know, it's one of these things, it was a really hard sale. So yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. kind of like, you know, buy this, try it. It looks okay, but it tastes amazing, <laughs> you know. And, you know, to be honest with you, when we first opened, I had like 90 followers on Instagram. I had no idea of the importance of how a product should look to right. have photographs of it being, you know, searched. So our first week we thought, oh my goodness, you know, this is not working. People don't understand that it's cheesecake in a pot. They think it is ice cream or, yeah. you know, soft serve, which we did do. So we had to change it. And I said, you know, the, the first thing that we need to do is take this out of the tub right. and do it as a slice. Because then you see, oh, that is a cheesecake. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you see it on Instagram, it's a cheesecake. You see it in a pot, you see the brand and, you know, our colours on the pot yeah. were amazing. <laughs> we spent hours designing a pot. But what was in it, people never really got. You know, it just looked like a bit 
much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. just, it looked like a bit of crumble topping with some, you know, flat dollop of cream. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was always really difficult for us because, you know, we had this product which we really believed in, but people just couldn't see it. And it, used, it was so difficult to translate what that product was. So then we went to slices. And I think the slices, is when, as soon as we did them, people thought, oh, this is a cheesecake right. place. It we clicked, need to go yeah. and see this. I love cheesecake. You know, and it was really easy then to sell it. Right. So I would say our baked cheesecake, because we still use a Polish recipe, that would be our main mm. product. Although we used to do the, uh, the cheesecake soft serve. Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Which a lot of people remember because it was just these monstrous like yeah. <laughs> ice creams in the pots which we originally used for our yeah. whips when we people first started. People still ask for it a lot, right? Like, it's a big deal. Yeah, and uh, to be honest with you, you know, we it was basically cheesecake batter that we used to put through an ice cream machine, like a okay, Mr. Right, Whippy. Right. And um, people would come in all the time and they just wouldn't understand it. <laughs> you know, and it, you do kind of think it's a bit r- random. You yeah. know, you, you're expecting ice cream and it tastes like cheese. <laughs> Uh, but some people would love it but I think I honestly think we were just two years ahead of the time mm. I think if we reintroduced it now yeah I feel like I've seen get like some frozen cheesecakes from other people like recently yeah I think it's emerging <laughs> yeah oh I wonder who that could be <laughs> no and you know it, it, we did it first of all because um, when we originally looked at Old Street we thought well we're not going to have any space we need a few bits of equipment and we thought, you know, are we going to have a fridge full of piping bags? No. Or should we just try and do it through an ice cream machine? So we went to go and see this guy who's selling these really fancy ice cream machines. And he was like, selling us the dream of, oh my goodness, <laughs> they're so easy to clean. Oh, oh wow. you know, it's a two minute job, we promise. And um, we actually went with another guy who was a lot cheaper. But <laughs> if you've ever cleaned a soft serve machine. I have actually. Yeah. You will understand. <laughs> the lasting memories yeah. of how awful that job is so we we just took it off and you know it was quite difficult to explain it as well because people would come in with their kids and be like oh you do 99ers and they're like no mm, <laughs> and then the kids would try it they'd be like mommy this doesn't taste like ice cream <laughs> sorry we've already bought it kid but... so um and you know i, I do think that if we were to reintroduce it i mean i would hands down so I'm never cleaning a, yeah, a soft yeah. machine ever again in my life but I think we were just a bit too early you know we had this little shop on Drury Lane that no one really knew about we had no marketing budget right. and we were just every person that came through the door we were like saying oh have this have that have that have that right, and they were right. like whoa like this is really crazy <laughs> um, so I would say out of all the products the slices but at that time the soft serve cheesecake right. yeah, yeah. was probably you know and it still is something that a lot yeah, of people ask for. Definitely associated with the brand, I think, at this point, yeah. Uh, and, I mean, you mentioned, like, yeah, a very creative team, obviously. And, yeah, you seem to come out with loads of weird and wonderful flavours in volume, like, every week, it seems. <laughs> like, where does that all come from? Is it just, like, loads of time in the test kitchen? Is it just, like, <laughs> flashes of inspiration that you then just, like, put into action? Like, how- I think, um, well, this is probably why I gained so much weight <laughs> since we started with. I've been a chef for 17, 18 years, so it's always been, within kitchens, the most important thing is that your, your innovation levels are great. And that's one thing that I always see, and I speak to a lot of people about this, that in London, you see a lot of people that open dessert concepts, but they've had no formal training. Right. 
and they're always the ones that are going to go the first because they don't know how to innovate they can't pivot okay this isn't selling what do we do how do we change this what products do we introduce and that's one thing that we've always been really strong at mm. i'm a trained chef my husband is amazing at um design ideas coming out with crazy names for things and you know that's always been our strength and we both love food like everyone else in london it seems at the moment <laughs> but you know from having that time in kitchens has really helped me just always be able to come out with ideas and it's also like what we enjoy eating mm. you know there are certain things that you can do with a cheesecake okay we don't go too weird we don't do the whole like <laughs> yeah. blue cheese and like sure. wild garlic and you know <laughs> whatever sat, sat by the cheese bar right, exactly. just do something along those lines yeah <laughs> i'm looking at the brie going past it well, what can we do with this but i guess you know we love themes and at the moment you can't go on holiday so you're like okay what what reminds you of like seaside trips when you're a kid summer summer days like what would you want would you want something that tastes like a solero or like you know fresh passion fruit something lighter and then christmas comes around and i'm like obsessed with christmas i start planning in like august what we're gonna get (laughs) everyone so christmas is like an easy one and then obviously Valentine's, Halloween, so many good themes, you know, and it, we're always trying to do something different. Innovation has always been key to us mm. because it's always been in my trade, you right. know, this this wasn't just a dream that I used to make brownies, you know, this is my job. Right, right. It's not like we just open up a business in the hope to do something that I love. This has always been my career mm. since I was 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, it's, you can always tell the, you know the men from the boys in this industry as to who has done formal kitchen training because right, right. they're the ones that will always succeed do you want to speak about that past in your i think your about page on the website is like yeah let's just have michelin trained chef <laughs> with uh, 14 years or yeah, yeah and oh god you know what it's one of these things a lot of people ask me about my past jobs and i never really talk about it because it's always been a job and mm. i always find it amazing how many people are actually interested in food jobs right, I guess because right. I've always been in it and that's all I know but so yeah. many people ask questions like you know who have you cooked for in these spaces like what's your signature dish yeah you know so I moved to London when I was 16 originally from Bournemouth not much down there in terms <laughs> of fine dining right. um, but I went to catering college as the youngest one in our group so I'm a late summer baby and um I've always wanted to move to London because I always wanted to have a house like they have on Abfab (laughs) with a kitchen in the basement. That was always my dream. So um, I went to catering college because all I wanted to do, I hated school. I went to catering college and the first day I was enrolled, the lecturers were like, are you sure you want to do this? Because you've actually got really good grades. (laughs) And I went on, you know, like NVQ two or three, I can't even remember now. (laughs) And... um, they said, oh, you know, where do you want to go? And I said, well, I want to move to London. And coming up to the end of the year, you had like a three-month work placement. Right, right. You kind of got to see who they thought was good and who they thought was terrible. Because the ones that were terrible would end up in these, like, two-star pubs right, <laughs> in okay. the middle of nowhere. Like, just get rid of them. and <laughs> They won't come back for year four. And um, a few of us were sent to London. One was the Goring... I think one was um, a restaurant in Bank, and I got sent to the Ritz. Right, wow. And I was like so excited, but then I was also crapping myself. I because, mean, yeah. You know, I, you know, I really loved catering college, but you know, as soon as they told me I was going there, that was it. The whip was being cracked. You've done that wrong. You've done that wrong. Right. Everything I did was wrong. 
So I went into the Ritz thinking, oh yeah, this is going to be great. And I just got feasted. Right. <laughs> I mean, it was so hard. I mean, I was a 16-year-old girl. I was in a kitchen of 50 chefs, all right. male, but four. Right. Um, and you've just had to grow up very quickly otherwise you would not have survived it I can imagine and you know there's a lot of you know it's a very different world that we live in now where you know it's a bit more um, PC and there are a lot more regulations and women have got a lot more rights in a workplace but when I was there it was um, pretty brutal Mm. but I loved it you know I loved being in the environment um, being in the kitchen and I was only meant to be there for three months and in the back of my head, I always thought, oh my God, I've got to go back to college and I've got so much coursework that I was meant to do here, <laughs> right, but all right. I've done is go to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've got to make the most of it. Yeah. Well, exactly. And I was 16-year-old in like, the Clarence pub, you know, like loving life. And in the back of my head, I was thinking, oh God, I've got all these assignments to do. And the head chef, who I'm, I'm still close with, he said, oh, you know, how are you enjoying it? And I said, oh, I love it. I don't want to go back home. And he said, well, don't. And I never did. I stayed there wow. for five years and um, continued to get my backside kicked. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, was, uh, it was like being in the military in kitchens right, then. Right. You know, if you start at eight o'clock, you'd be there at six o'clock ready. You know, you were just not turned up without clean shoes without being polished right, uh, every right, inch right. of their life. Or, you know, your uniform was perfectly pressed. Your hair was like pristine. You know, you wouldn't wear perfume because you wouldn't want to attract the boys in the sure, kitchen, yeah. you know. And so then I, I loved it. and. Um, I wanted to go to other kitchens and I went to quite a few. I went to the Gavroche, uh, I went to Maze, I went and worked at a cooking school in Paris teaching macaroons. Wow. <laughs> Macaron. Macaron, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, you know, and then I went into private catering for the kind of high net worth people. Um, and it was great because, you know, you never get that kind of money right, if you're right. in kitchen work. Sure. So there's a big difference in. But there's also a big difference in what you do and how close you are with people. I was mm. working with people um, who were worth billions. Right. You know, and it, it's a very different lifestyle. And, you know, if they want something, they want it yesterday. Right, right, right. And there's no such thing as manners. Yeah. You know, and um, you just, you get a good wage, but my God, you work for that wage. I can imagine. Yeah, so I think it, it's quite a common um, thing to do. You know, I, I always saw myself as opening my own thing or like doing my own being my own boss and not really working in like big hotels as much as I love them and working in restaurants I always found maybe this is why I'm good at innovation I always found myself getting really bored with menus right <laughs> so you know like the Gavroche the menu never changed oh okay so I was doing the same thing every day and I was thinking how could people do this for 20 years yeah I want to be doing different stuff and you know my husband wants to kill me half the time because I'm always changing things up and he's like you need to have your signature things that always stay on the menu <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm all up for like changing stuff and being a bit crazy with flavours and, you know, like, oh, let's go bigger, let's make this like deeper, let's go for like 20 layers. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I guess, you know, I've had a really good training and I've loved working in kitchens, mm. but I also love doing my own thing. And I think that's the one thing which I really do enjoy. And I, you know, I really spend a lot of time in doing the development of different things because I never got that opportunity to do it in restaurants. Right, right. And if you did, you'd do it for someone else and they'd be like, oh, I don't like that, I want this. <laughs> oh, I don't like that, yeah. that's rubbish, don't do that. Whereas now, like, you know, obviously I have all the customers mm. that do that. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I just, I just enjoy doing my own thing. And um, 
I think that's why a lot of people go into opening their own food businesses because they they know what they want to do. They've learned all the techniques. They've learned how to do things, how to manage chefs, and um, they go and do it. And I think it's one of these things that you know it doesn't matter what your background is. Nothing prepares you for the fears that everyone who has their own food business has. You know, is it going to be busy? Is it going to be a load of waste? Are my staff not going to turn up? You know, is someone going to come and trash this all over Instagram? And it, it does happen. And you know. It was one of the things that we were quite shocked about when we opened our shop. The fact that, you know, you think something's amazing and you spend 18 hours in that business right. trying to make it completely perfect. And someone will come in and say, this is shit. Right. You know, this is one out of 10, you know, I could get better in McDonald's. I mean, no yeah. one's ever said that. <laughs> I hope not, I hope not. <laughs> but, you know, you see it a lot. You always feel for like different food businesses. You know, we follow a lot and it's horrible when you're on the repeat side of it you know when you see you know on google someone's left you an awful review and you've gone from five to four point six or something and you can never get it back up and you just think god does that person know the damage but you know you know you you sit on instagram how it really affects food businesses and i think a lot of people are now starting to stand up for themselves a little bit more Mm. and say um come on especially now after the whole covid yes people have become a little bit more respectful i don't know how long that'll last because <laughs> people, have, people yeah. are still glorious people i mean we talked a lot about instagram obviously and i think it's fair to say that like in my sphere of bloggers at least you're yeah. fairly famous for uh, uh I, I guess calling out some interesting characters <laughs> within our in our community um people trying to get a uh, free cheesecake and various things out of you uh, do, do you have like any particular policies or views on kind of influencer marketing and things that you want oh, to God. call out? But, yeah, but I've got a lot. How long have you got, Mike? <laughs> uh, oh, it's just one of my bugbears. You know, I honestly don't know how people have the audacity to message a business. You know, it doesn't matter. I don't care about how many followers you've got because it's never been important to me how many we've got. You know, the people that are important to me are the people that come through the door and buy stuff and treat our staff with respect and enjoy it and recommend us you know it it doesn't affect us if someone follows us and doesn't come in because you know okay we might have one more follower on instagram but that isn't going to pay our staff you know our landlord's still going to come knocking at the end of the month or our suppliers are still going to be pissed that they've got you know outstanding balances but yeah i think you know you've got to be a certain person to be messaging a lot of people and asking for free stuff but we find that you know, a lot of these people don't even follow us. They yeah. just send generic messages. And I think it's, you know, a rule of numbers, really. You know, it's probability. If you message 500 people in one day, I'm sure one person will say, yeah, come yeah. out some free shit. <laughs> yeah, it won't be me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been in a few spots in the early days. and I didn't know how to deal with it. And, you know, it's when you open your own business, you never get this, like, manual that say, you know, chapter 14, how to deal right, with Instagrammers right. <laughs> or, like, people wanting free stuff every day. It's something so new. And I remember the first one that I got, I was really upset about because she messaged saying, oh, you know, I'm coming from Cardiff and, you know, I'd love some free cake. And I was like, you know, I'm really happy you're coming from Cardiff. London's a great place. But, you know, we won't be offering you free cake. And she was like, you know... I've got 4,000 followers and I was like yeah but that's still not a lot yeah. you know in terms of what we get you know we do get people in our shop millions of followers and 
again, if you've got a million followers and you don't treat my, my staff nicely, yeah. you won't get anything. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't matter about numbers. It just matters about respect to me. And anyway, this girl was going off on one. And, um, and then she tried to send messages again saying, I was never looking for free stuff. Yeah, and I was really upset. And then Footwaffle came in, Eloise, on yeah, that day. Yeah. And she's like, what the hell's wrong with you? And I was crying. Uh, and she's like, why are you crying over this? You know, people call me fat every day on Instagram. This girl's like a twig. Yeah, you know, yeah. she's got the most amazing figure. And she said, listen, people are calling me fat and ugly. And I, I just get on with it. So why are you crying? Because a girl from Cardiff wants a piece of free cake. But I guess it's just, you know, we've always tried really hard with all of our customers. And the fact that she was trying to like make it out that we had said, you know, you're not getting any free stuff because you've been too cheeky. And, you know, she basically tried to say that um, I had written a message saying I only um, give people free stuff that have only 10,000 followers, which is absolutely not right. free because yeah. my mum has no followers. And I give her free cake. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Heard it here first. So, you know, numbers don't bother me. It, it's just... I've seen a lot of people now kind of bite back and a lot of people say name and shame but I'm just I'm not that petty you know we do get so many I'd say we average at least 10 a day right wow but you know I used to always respond back and I used to try and be funny with these people asking for free stuff and you know sometimes it works because I thought it was hilarious but you know other people like you should <laughs> calm it down it's a bit so, passive uh, you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm like sure come in our cakes are five pounds like looking forward to spending your money in my shop you know and they'd be like, this isn't what we mean. <laughs> but I think a lot of people also do it where they send all these restaurants generic messages saying, oh, you know, can I, um, can I come in for a free meal? And they send me a message saying, can I come in for a free meal? And I'm like, we're not the Dorchester. You know, we do like a slice of cake. We're not going to do like a five course banquet for you. And then they wonder why you don't respond. <laughs> Do your research, guys. Come in, meet us, and then we'll look after you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wild old world, that's for sure. Um, so the other thing that I've kind of been asking people to take a very like tonal shift very quickly uh, is given the pandemic and things that have been for the last couple of years, like COVID restrictions, lockdowns, etc. Kind of how that's been for you and the business. I mean, I think had you just closed up on Drury Lane before lockdown? Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, uh, God, I really count my blessings on this. I think God was looking down on us on that decision. Mm. So towards the end of our time in Drury Lane, we shut that shop because we had investors on board. And uh, it was kind of going back and forth with these guys. You know, I thought they would be quite a good fit at the time. But to be honest with you, they were asking for a, a big cut. And I just done like, a year and a half, 18 hour days every single day. And I was at that stage where I thought, you know, we need a little bit of help now or we need a little bit of guidance or, you know, just someone else who can contribute to the business side. So we arranged to shut our shop on the 20th of March, which is the weekend. We handed in our notice to the landlord. We said we're going to be out of the shop. And um, on the 23rd of March, we went into lockdown. And on the 24th of March, the investors text us on WhatsApp pulling out oh, and you know it still it still leaves a bit of taste in my mouth because I just think have the decency to pick up a call yeah, you know or, yeah. and you know for you to WhatsApp when you've basically put us in a situation yeah. where we've lost everything now I just thought was really poor mannered I just couldn't believe it so 
at that time, and the government has said anyone that has a shop, the landlords can't do anything for like three more months. Right, right. And I was thinking, oh my God, like we've got a shop full of stuff. The plan was we we're going to go and get this amazing commercial kitchen with these investors. It was all laid out. A lot of a lot of our suppliers were calling up and saying, you know, what's going on? Are you going to still be going, you know, trading? And I said, well, we have no idea what's right. going on. So because the government had said anyone that has stuff in shops can stay, we ended up just keeping our stuff in the shop. We had no idea how long for. Mm. No one knew what lockdown was going to do sure. and the damage. But to be honest, the first day of lockdown was my first day off in a year <laughs> and a half. And I had done 80 hours at least every single day. So we were just burnt out. And it was the first day that I had actually sat on our balcony <laughs> since we moved in. And we'd lived in that flat for two years. Gosh. So in a selfish way, it was time for me to kind of say, right, mm. let's have a break from this sure. because it's just too much. You know, you're, you're doing everything. I had a few staff members, but, you know, I was doing the ordering, I was doing the cooking, I was doing the Instagram, the emails, you know, the accounting. We never had an accountant. We are doing it ourselves. Right. And it was just so much all the time. To be able to just have a break from it and just have an excuse and a reason to not do anything mm. was amazing, you know, and it was probably one of the best feelings that I've ever had and that's the first time I ever sat on my sofa before midnight right. and you know just sit in the sun and like enjoy time with my husband or you know talking to my family like I never had that time for like the, the entire time we'd opened the shop so um I didn't know what to do and obviously I came from like a entourage background a kitchen background so I said to Jamie you know what I'm not just going to sit around for months on end now I was stupid. I thought lockdown was going to last two weeks. Sure. I mean, loads of people did. Yeah. You know, my husband was like, we're going to be here till August, September. And I was like, no. And yeah, I just went back to work. So I, I had a little bit of time off and then I went back to working for private clients. And then I managed to make enough money to reopen again independently. So um, it was a strike of luck, really, because, you know, I think if we had worked with the investors, it would have been the worst decision of right, my life. Right. You know, because all control pretty much would have gone to them. Before we had kind of agreed anything, they'd sent in a girl who was planning on redesigning our branding. Right. You know, and I was thinking, hang on a minute, like, we love this branding. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with this? Like, we, we love this. So, yeah, just to be able to open up, um, two of our very close friends owned the fish and chip shop next door to our current shop. And they said, you know, there's this shop that's doing nothing why don't you move in you know they saw the potential of the brand and we did and we opened up end of October Mm. I think it was Halloween and then we opened on a Saturday very excited and then it was announced at lunchtime that we're going into another lockdown the day after great timing (laughs) so no one expected it but you know we just took it on the on the chin and thought right okay we'll just open the weekends see how it goes and it has affected us but you know we've got a very different story to a lot of other people sure. you know we had the investors kind of just upping and leaving and not giving a toss really but you know it, it was the best thing that ever happened because as we reopened a lot more opportunities were coming up and we got offered to go and work with Brixton right, and of course, yeah. You know, that would never have happened if we were with investors or if we hadn't just gone out and said, you know what, guys, we're going to reopen yeah. by hook or by crook. You know, we've been getting so many messages on Instagram. 
about can you mail order this can you right. send me a cheesecake and you know really i think that was like a massive contributing yeah. factor because i was very close to actually deleting the whips instagram right. and just saying you know what like maybe it isn't meant to be but you know after a few weeks i was like this is just getting silly now our instagram is getting bigger and bigger and you know the messages just didn't stop mm. and i was like we we just shouldn't give this up you know we'd be mad to give this up and um yeah we just kept going and then we opened up on endor street which where we are now and we'll see <laughs> we'll see what we'll see what happens this year i mean god every business is just flying a bit blind so. yeah i mean no, like we were saying earlier no one really knows the rules so at least now you know restrictions are kind of getting lifted i guess you know we're going in the right direction and hopefully you know in a couple more months things will be a lot more clear yeah fingers crossed and so when's brixton set to open or is it still about opening out? brixton it should be open by the 10th of august oh very nice so we're in the process of designing it now. Um, the design will not be as brash <laughs> as our previous shops. Um, we're going to go very toned. Uh, yeah, toned down, I guess is the right yeah. word. Um, a little bit more classy for weapons. Fitting you know, into the uh, surroundings. Yeah, more. I mean, the thing is with Brixton is that it's all a bit kind of shabby chic. Like, mm. it's all very, you know, odd chairs are perfectly acceptable right. in, uh, in Brixton. In Covent Garden, it's just like a no-go. You know, you can be a bit rough around the edges in Brixton, I think. Mm. So we're going to go, you know, quite pastely. It's going to be more of an experience. There's going to be a lot more seating. Uh, we've applied for a booze license. Very nice. To do dessert cocktails. So it's going to be more like an experience rather than a grab and go. So Brixton will be great because then that's kind of, it, I guess it's what we wanted, you know, yeah. from the supper clubs. Our main thing was anyone that came into our house, we wanted to feel really welcome. Sure, yeah. And we wanted people to have a great time. We wanted people to sit down and tell the stories and just have a real laugh. Mm. And that was like a really important thing for us. Anyone that came to the shop needed to feel like they were yeah, in, our, yeah. in our home. So I think in Brixton it would be a lot easier to replicate that feeling. Mm. Because, you know, it's, it's like a big family in Brixton. All yeah. the traders know each other. Yeah. You know, you're, you're all supporting each other. There's some great neighbours that we've got near us. So I think it's going to be a lot more um, kind of whipped-esque, you right, know. Right. So hopefully 10th of August. A lot of logistics involved in opening another shop. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. Is there anything else new and exciting on the horizon or is that kind of enough for now <laughs> to keep you busy? Oh God, I mean there's always stuff with us. <laughs> I mean, there's a few things that we can't really talk about just yet. We are going to be franchising. Right. So that was due to happen next year. Exciting. Yeah, so we've been in talks with uh, lawyers about franchising because we've had a lot of interest from people mm. outside of London who would like to franchise. Sure. So, you know, it looks like we're going to franchise the cookie brand first, okay. still under whip to London, yeah. but it'll probably be the cookies and all the cheesecakes will be in London and, you know, we'll own all of London shops and then um, it will be available nationwide right. soon. And so, internationally? Or? <laughs> internationally my god with brexit who knows <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> if i can even find someone who can make cream cheese oh i'm sure i'm sure that's um, yeah i mean our dream is to always um open in vegas and new york right, right like we got married in vegas i love vegas the food in vegas is incredible and it's just fun and i think if you could kind of um name put a few names to describe or words to describe with 
I think you could definitely say fun is in there. Right, yeah. And I think it would fit so well in somewhere like Vegas. So if we were to do internationally, I'd love to go to the States. That would be very cool. I'm sure it would be very well received there as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, it could go either way, couldn't it? It could be like a Brit doing baked yeah. cheesecake. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> this is rubbish. Or oh, <laughs> oh, they love it because it's like quintessentially British and we do like a scone flavoured cheesecake. God, you yeah, know? it's going to say, put little top hats on. <laughs> them, yeah. yeah, so the, there's quite a few different channels, but we do get asked a lot to trade at, you know, different markets. And uh, we, we wouldn't do market stalls, but we definitely do quite a few pop-ups. Mm-hmm. So I think for next year, we'd, we'd be looking at doing a few pop-ups because... Still, you know, we've got a, a reasonable following on yeah, Instagram. Yeah. Um, but you'd still go up to a lot of people even here and say, what's with London? And they'd be like, you know, is that somewhere in Soho? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, people wouldn't have a clue that we're a cheesecake shop and who we are, what we do. So I think that's the most important thing right. is kind of um, attacking the areas in London where, you know, oh, we yeah. still haven't got an audience and um, going to more of the burbs, you know, Brixton's number one and who, who knows what's going to be next. Mm. Exciting. <laughs> oh yeah, like where you live, we'll get you to it for Yeah, yeah, easy peasy. <laughs> I've got, yeah, opening in my schedule, I'm sorry we can figure it out. Yeah. Um, amazing. Well, we've been chatting for a while, so <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll bring us to a close. Um, thanks so much for taking the time. You're more than welcome. Um, and yeah, very much looking forward to seeing what uh, what happens in the Brixton shop as Thank well as you. obviously continuing to grab a cookie and a slice or two. And, uh, <laughs> well, you'll be part of the journey, Mike, right? that's for sure. <laughs> Amazing. Well, yeah, thanks again, and uh, I'll see you again soon. And there you have it. So thanks so much again to Alice for taking the time out from prepping the new Brixton store to chat to me. If you've not tried anything from Whipped yet, you're seriously missing out. You can order cheesecakes from them online or pop into their Covent Garden store on the weekends to get your fix. I'll put all the details in the show notes as per usual. You can find me on Instagram at MikeEatsLondon or follow the pod at MikeMeetsLondon. If you enjoyed the episode, please do subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you feel like it, drop me a little review as well. Please do share as well with anyone who you think might be interested. And I'll see you next time.